Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name's Matt Brusky. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Jorna Taylor is here. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here from Wisconsin. Jorna! Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. Okay, that's right. We record on Thursday, so... I'm not drunk yet. Uh, yep. Uh, you're, <laughs> by the time no you listen beer. to this, Jorna will be hungover. She's got her <laughs> dropkick Murphy's green t-shirt on. She's ready to go. Robert Craig is also here, executive director at Citizen Action. Robert. Good morning, everyone. I didn't know Jorna was an Irish name, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Little known fact, my dad's side of the family does think that Taylor is Irish. I'm, I'm suspect. <laughs> So we are going to have a guest later in the podcast. Um, we're going to have Christine Newman-Ortiz from Voces de la Frontera to tell us about uh, the Senate taking a pass on the Sanctuary Cities Bill. But we're going to start this podcast uh, by remembering Tamara Grigsby, um, who died earlier this week uh, due to health complications way, way too early. She was 41. Um, Jorna, I know uh, you knew her well. Uh, some thoughts? Well, I, I got to know uh, former state representative uh, Tamara Grigsby when she was in the state Senate or state assembly, I'm sorry, yep. uh, particularly during the 2011 fight against Act 10. She really allowed us to use her office as a base. And I will say my favorite memory is during all of the protests, we would go into her office and we would fly my giant 10 by 15 American flag out her window to the pleasure of the crowd below. And then it would incite, you know, cops and firefighters to come to the office and tell us to knock it off. But she really, too much freedom. it was too much freedom, but she was really a champion for Milwaukee, a champion for working people in Wisconsin and just a lovely all around person in general. And so she will be sorely missed by progressives and by those who knew her. So, Robert, um, she was a champion on health care and women's health. I'd obviously love to get more of your thoughts on her leadership in this area and others. Well, I first met her when she was working for the Wisconsin Council of Children and Families. They actually used to have a Milwaukee office. And Tamara was a person who was about issues and about improving people's lives. And so she did not, her goal was not to be an elected office. She saw elected office as a means to an end. And so she was the same person throughout, and that's very unusual. You, on both sides of the aisle, have, a number, have some people who are just elected to be elected because they see that as a career move or, uh, or they just like politics, right? But Tamara didn't really like politics, but she wanted to improve people's lives. She was very dedicated to, to, uh, to Milwaukee Public Schools being first-class 21st century public schools that gave the same opportunity to kids in the city as everywhere in the, in the world and fought for that. And she fought on a number of, of children, family issues, and health care issues. And so she was the real deal. And it's just a shame that uh, her life had to be cut short this early. She was only 41 years old. Obviously, um, she will be deeply missed. And uh, there are not many people like her. Uh, we hope she inspires uh, many more, though, like her in the future. With that, um, we are going to welcome in a special guest. So we're really happy to have a special guest with us now here at the podcast, and that is Christine Newman-Ortiz from Voces de la Frontera. Christine, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. So we've had Christine on before, and we've talked a lot about the immigration issue, um, and that issue is flared up again uh, as it relates to a number of bills 
you may have heard of them, uh, called Sanctuary City Bills. And these bills did not pass this week. Uh, the Senate uh, decided to take a pass, which was big news, which means uh, they will not come to law right away. Christine, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about what these bills did and why you fought against them, but then more broadly, uh, a little bit about the massive movement uh, that uh, stopped these, including the Day Without Latinos, uh, and, and, and just how this happened. Yeah, <clears throat> so these uh, bills, um, one of which, uh, there were three anti-immigrant bills introduced in the state legislature, and uh, two of those three have been defeated. Um, and the one that was the most, um, I think, you know, the, the greatest threat was um, the anti-sanctuary city bill. Um, there is still one, you know, that is on the governor's desk that we're calling for a veto. Um, but uh, we're extremely um, elated that, you know, that um, this anti-sanctuary city bill was uh, not brought up for vote um, in the last day of the Senate session. And these are bills that actually they're copycat bills, both of them, both the anti-local ID that is on the um, desk of the governor and the one that was in the Senate. Um, they've actually been moved through the American Legislative Exchange Council, where, um, as we know, it really represents large corporate interests who work with some legislatures to draft legislation that ultimately will benefit them, um, their interests. And, uh, and these are bills that were moved in various states as well, um, Arizona, North Carolina, Florida, um, as just some examples. Um, and what it, it, it what this and it was revised as it went, but the last version of it, um, it, it basically strengthens um, the role of public employees, any public employee, um, and the police, obviously, as part of the public employee in their collaboration with immigration. So it would have prohibited any policies that um, would deny the ability of any public employee from investigating someone's immigration status and then um, would require them hold that individual for immigration um, if that person had a misdemeanor or a felony on their record. Um, and, you know, the reason um, why this was um, so strongly opposed is because, um, you know, this is, a, you know th this is definitely a step back in terms of um, the status quo, um, which uh, needs to be improved. And part of the immigrant rights movement has made tremendous progress in actually breaking that um, relationship with local law enforcement and immigration. Um, and that ultimately reached its kind of a, a very strong point in November 2014 when President Obama announced new enforcement, immigration enforcement priorities, because um, up to that point, it has been very, very sweeping. Um, you know, basically anyone processed through the county jail, if you were um, for a uh, driving infraction, if you were innocent of a charge, um, you know, would end up in immigration and it would break up families. People would end up uh, being deported um, and breaking up families. And so uh, this is something that obviously it's not just that um, we know that there are problems right now with the status quo with people who are being stopped and questioned, um, you know, for uh, their immigration papers just by based on their appearance or if they have an accent. And then people who do end up in deportation proceedings who have no criminal record whatsoever. Um, there is a system for that. The immigration enforcement does have these new priorities. In fact, we need to know, are they being um, respected more? We need more transparency in the process. Um, 
And secondly, uh, a big reason why we also had a number of law enforcement speak out against these bills is because um, it undermines the uh, trust that has been, been built uh, between the local law enforcement and immigrant communities to encourage people to come forward who have been victims or witnesses to a crime, um, victims of domestic abuse who are seeking you know, uh, protection. So um, it's a tremendous victory um, for the, not just here in Wisconsin, but actually nationally, all of these fights are ultimately end up, you know, having national impact. So, Christine, speaking of national impact, uh, how do you think this relates to what's happening in the presidential primaries, in particular a front runner who is the most anti-immigrant uh, politician and did that in, in memory? Probably goes back to the know nothings of the 19th century, or uh, or really quite or the backlashes against uh, East European and Southern European immigration in the early part of the last century. Uh, so, what do you think? How do you think these victories relate to the fact that Donald Trump will be soon here, tr stumping in Wisconsin for the Wisconsin primaries? Um, well, I think it's been you know part of what was so significant about what happened in Wisconsin, and one of the um, kind of rallying calls that came out of it is, you know, todos somos Wisconsin, we are all Wisconsin. And it came out of the fact that on February 18th, the way that this bill got stopped was through uh, a day without Latinos and immigrants, which was a general strike. Um, so it wasn't just a labor stoppage of workers leaving their jobs um, and coming to the Capitol to protest. Um, but, you know, it was you had students, parents taking their kids out of school, um, you had business, hundreds of, of businesses that um, closed um, throughout the state of Wisconsin to have a mass presence. And it was that economic impact that definitely generated a conversation that dairy industry uh, production was cut in half. Um, dairy farmers reached, you know, supported their workers and um, also became part of this um, rallying call against these anti-immigrant bills. And what came out affirmatively was despite the national rhetoric that we're hearing, about bashing immigrants and blaming them for all of um, the economic problems, um, it was an affirmation, an undeniable affirmation, that immigrants are an essential, critical part of our economy, and that if we make um, a state that is unwelcoming, um, then um, you know other people will create a chain effect um, where other people will be negatively impacted. Um, and so it was a breath of fresh air in that very toxic. Um, presidential rhetoric, um, and where we have seen increased incidents of um, hate crime activity, actually. Um, so out of that has come a tremendous sense of empowerment, confidence, um, a drive to organize. And uh, one of the things that Bolsa de la Frontera has been um, working since, the, since February 18th has been in the creation of um, statewide chapters. So now we have statewide, you know, we have chapters in uh, all, uh, where all these people came from all over um, the state. Um, and so we had, um, Walworth County has now created a chapter there. Um, we have, um, right before this happened in Madison, a chapter uh, in Green Bay, there's now a chapter. Um, and so we want to keep doing that follow-up. But part of the reason of having that organizational structure is in part um, to not just keep organizing to, for instance, we still are calling on Governor Walker to veto that last uh, anti-immigrant bill on his desk. Um, but it's also then encouraging people to also um, play an active role to show their strength 
um, in the elections. And, and it's not just to show your strength. It's like absolute necessity. I mean, um, I think, you know, of course, uh, Trump, uh, to me, really represents a, a, essentially um, a um, really right-wing um, fascist movement in this country. It's more than an election. I think they're, he's very self-conscious about what he is doing. Um, and... Um, and then what's um, and then I think of course what's important to inform people about is that like let's say you know Cruz is the candidate or you know here's the choice you know that um, really Cruz is just echoing the politics of Trump um, even though he's Latino so someone who might not know better might not be informed about where he stands on these issues might not know um, that um, there really isn't an alternative um, between those two and that the threats are very very real and um, the big fight in the immigrant rights movement right now is to defend the gain of um, deferred action for 5 million um, parents and young people, dreamers, in this country, um, and that depends on who is president. And not just that, but obviously the, the kind of politics they're proposing are, you know, uh, an extreme threat to um, lots of different groups of people, working people, um, and then a very um, aggressive, um, you know, a, attack on different ethnic communities. And so um, the motivation is to make sure that on November, in particular, April 6th, and in particular in November, that we have a historic turnout of Latinos in Wisconsin and throughout this country that not that pushes back against these kind of um, dangerous politics in this country and creates a foundation for progressive politics. So, Christine, let folks know we've got listeners throughout the state. Um, it's very exciting to hear about the chapters and, and the energy. If people want to get involved with VOSES, and uh, whether that be on the uh, ongoing and never-ending you know, fights, the issue fights, or in the elections this fall, how do they get involved with VOSES? What should they do? Um, they can um, uh, reach us through um, Facebook or on our website, um, VDLF, the initials of the organization, .org. Um, or call um, our uh, lead organizer at 414-828-2692. And, and I guess as a last pitch, I'd encourage people to go online and sign the petition um, to let Governor Walker to veto SB 533. We do believe that part of the rise of uh, right-wing extremism is when we have um, policies from the mainstream that um, feed into that kind of hate and um encourage people to please help us that way. We will put a link to that uh, petition on our webpage here with the podcast. Thanks a lot, for Christine, for taking time out. I know you're extremely busy right now. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for all the good work you guys do. All right. We'll talk, we'll talk more down the road. Thanks, Christine. Thanks. Bye-bye. So, obviously, always good to have Christine Newman Ortiz with us and uh, hearing about one of our more exciting uh, aspects of the movement here and what's been going on on immigration rights. But uh, she raises a good point about fascism. And speaking of fascism, Jorna, let's, uh, oh, let's, trans let's transition <laughs> to our conversation of uh, the Republicans and their presidential uh, primary. And uh, Paul Ryan, of course, that always 
brings Paul Ryan into the discussion. So Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan. So uh, this week, Jorna, real quick, this, right? This Trump. Trump looks like he's gonna win, huh? Right? He's he's rolling, he's rolling, 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 and so the Republicans are very worried. And uh, more talk this week about potentially Paul Ryan or someone else. For, former Speaker yes. uh, John Tand and no longer ready Boehner <laughs> yes. Um, yes. has said. Not only did he call Ted Cruz Lucifer, which is amazing. <laughs> And amazingly true. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just awesome. Uh, he also thinks that Paul Ryan should run for president and that there should be some sort of brokered convention uh, for the Republicans. So this um, proverbial poop show, can I say shit show on the podcast? Excellent, I did. Uh, God, it's so fun to watch because it's not our circus and not our monkeys. But um, just now as I'm scrolling through the series of tubes, there is a Vanity Fair article that the headline is Paul Ryan spurns GOP suitors hoping he'll be their quote Republican Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also amazing it just goes to show though that they really you know a lot of them that have a cooler head on their shoulders are going whoa what the hell is happening here you know america is great and what what is this crazy you know mop-headed freak show that is going to be our nominee and quite frankly if ryan said i want it that would be politically damaging you always have to have this stance that you right. reluctantly serve, especially if you're being asking for something to, to get something you didn't run for and didn't didn't and weren't any ballots in primary. You probably have to ask God too. So it's a little like the the whole begging him to be speaker thing. It'll be the the same kind of thing. Oh please, Paul. But they have this terrible dilemma. Okay, so they it, ordinarily they'd have a candidate they could rally around against Trump, but they hate Cruz just as much, maybe more. It's hard to say. You have to find out, figure out which one it is. And so, and, and making Kasich the guy seems highly implausible. Uh, and then you have this problem of Trump saying things such as there'll be violence at the convention if the, uh, if the, if. So much to look forward to. So this is like, and, and all these, all these kind of button down Washington pundits saying, oh, this is very unseemly. There's been nothing like this in hundreds of years. I, I can't imagine. You know. So, which is, I mean, they haven't watched the Jerry Springer show, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Where there's violence uh, or alleged violence on a, on a daily basis, or at least there used to be. I don't know if the, even know if the thing's still <laughs> on. Uh, so they have this terrible problem. They also have this problem that if you look at office holders, including in Wisconsin, all the office holders are for Rubio or Kasich, right? And, but their voters aren't. So you have this lovely disconnect between the Republican establishment politicians that have been playing off these sort of attitudes and building them up, building up, building up this frenzy of anti-government belief. In other words, anti-democracy, anti-our country, okay, idea. And at the same time, uh, you know, exploiting it, but then feeding money, feeding resources to their own large special interests to fund their campaigns. And now the, the, the fricking, the, the rock has been picked up and all of the critters are running around underneath and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to fit it up, uh, put it back together That's again. And they can't control Trump, right? So Trump is literally, the emperor has no clothes, but the emperor is not Trump. The emperor is the Republican establishment. So if we uh, were to take a look at... Uh, polling, the traditional polling we all love to look at right now, and its efforts to look at Trump versus Clinton. Hillary's opened up a fairly sizable lead in most of the polls, double digits, that uh, on Trump. Um, we started to talk about this a little bit last week, and I, I want to dip our foot into it again, and we'll pull it back out for a further conversation. But um, do we believe that 
as the polls tell us and as our normal brains would tell us that <clears throat> Trump is incredibly vulnerable, right? Has no chance. He's, you know, the polling says there's so many people who wouldn't vote for him. I want to get people's thoughts again on, you know, we raised it last week around trade and around sort of economic stuff. And is there is there a lot of room out there for him to fundamentally change this this dynamic? And how does it play in in terms of right? We all think the guy's a racist, right? As we and Christine was pretty upfront, fascist, right? And we've called him a brown shirt. Um, how do we go and talk to people who are actually open to persuasion with him when we're calling him racist, right? Like, how are we going to have to realign to go back and actually talk to people and have a conversation who actually might be economically pressured that can get them to not connect with Trump, especially if we we have Hillary, right? Who's who's not exactly been the mantle on, on, on this issue. Um, I just, I'm curious for people's thoughts. Do or, or is this completely out to lunch? The guy's whack and the polls are right and he's got no chance and we ought to all just be I, celebrating. I, I think it would be incredibly dangerous for us to write off Donald Trump as a force in this election. You know, they've both, both Trump and Hillary have switched to, a general election message and Hillary has been alluding to the fact that there's a lot of stuff that we're going to release at some point on Donald Trump, blah, blah, blah. And I appreciate that primaries are activists and they're activist primaries and that, you know, the fringe of both sides comes out. But Donald Trump is appealing to a class of voter that progressives have never been able to reach that, you know, it's kind of the same voter that I see that supported Walker. He's talking about something and, you know, Walker did something, whether they agreed or not, he did something. Trump is talking a racist, fascist, horrible reptilian, you know, brain game, but it would be dangerous because people don't think about politics every single moment like we do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's dangerous to write him off. He's addressing Nixon's silent majority when Nixon broke off a big part of the New Deal coalition in, an ant, in a pro-war, anti-civil rights kind of backlash, which has continued. And they were called later Reagan Democrats. Uh, and so, they, but they used to be part of the New Deal coalition. They voted for Lyndon Johnson. They voted for Harry Truman. They certainly voted for FDR. Uh, but there's been a lot of history here where they where they've been alienated and have seen their oppressors as their friends, quite frankly, the people who are outsourcing their jobs and seen people who are fellow victims of a rigged economy as their enemies. Yeah. Uh, that's what's been going on. But here's the dangerous part, right? I think there's a 1912 analogy here. And that is in 1912, Theodore Roosevelt would have won the Republican nomination if you'd followed voters, but he had become a radical Theodore Roosevelt. He's a former president, but he was the most progressive candidate, arguably, in American history on a ballot. Uh, I mean, very close. Maybe you could say William Jennings Bryan, but really, or McGovern, very radical. And Republicans decided to deny him the nomination, understanding he would run in a third party and that they would lose with their standard bearer, William Howard Taft, but preserving the party for future conservative action, in other words, protecting conservatism and making Woodrow Wilson president, okay, who was more was progressive also, but more moderate at that point in terms of the campaigning than, than TR was. So the question is this, there's already a movement to create a third party. So they have two strategies here, the Republican establishment. They can try to take the nomination away from Trump. If they can't do that, then they way, way well put an establishment Republican candidate up there, which will almost guarantee a Hillary victory. But here's the problem. You could have a Trump victory in a three-way race like that, where if, if Trump only needs to get 40 percent, 
you know, 35% instead of 50% yeah. in a general. So it becomes much more dangerous. Uh, and, and Trump is much more effective, obviously, as a candidate, not as a leader. I mean, uh, William Howard Taft was Supreme Court Chief Justice, all sorts of things. So he wasn't a charismatic campaigner. So he's much more effective than that. So there are too many scenarios to game out. But right now, uh, what the, the context is going to be is going to be depending on what the Republican establishment does, both with the convention, with the rest of the campaign, if they can find anything on Trump, they failed so far, then the convention, then whether they have another candidate, a third-party candidate. Uh, but here's the danger on our side. It looks like Hillary is, by most scenarios, most likely to win. So at this point, if it's the NCAA brackets, right, she's North Carolina, and uh, Bernie Sanders is the Badgers, right, uh, as far as winning the uh, national uh, championship. That's, that's generous. Right. They may be Stephen F. Austin. Yeah, I don't know. Not I Stephen mean, Austin. Stephen F. Right. Austin. So... He could win, but it's very hard, uh, and he's going to keep running because part of why he's running is not to win but to change the whole climate, and he has had a huge role in making Hillary become much more specific about what needs to be done and to be populist on issues like outsourcing, which I think is fantastic. In fact, she's to the left of most Democrats in Wisconsin on outsourcing right now, which is really, really helpful uh, to us and what we're trying to do about economic justice, uh, but I, there are going to be some of her advisors. I think Hillary's a brilliant woman. Let me be very clear. But a lot of her advisors are not. They're, uh, I mean, they're smart people, but there are a lot of political types who see it in very narrow, short-term kind of way. And they're going to say, ooh, now that we're through the primaries, now we should trank into the center in order to get all of these moderate people that aren't going to vote against Trump. And then she's going to, that they do that, then they're going to dampen the enthusiasm they need from young voters, from the rising American electorate, the people of color voters, African-American, Latino, and Asian especially. And uh, they're going to damage their election prospects. And they're going to furthermore uh, make the narrative case that Hillary can't be trusted because she's now shifted positions again. She can't do it again. The Hillary that's running now needs to be the candidate that runs. It's a more populist, anti-establishment version of Hillary, and that's what's needed to beat Donald Trump. So uh, we're going we're gonna to obviously continue to talk more about this dynamic as it evolves. I'm just, um, I'm very concerned about if Trump gets this head of steam that we're going to have a hard time railing bringing it back in with what I would describe as cross-pressured independent voters, Reagan Democrats, whatever you want to talk about. Folks, we're going to need to win a general election, right, uh, who don't view themselves as racist um, but are deeply connected or connect to Trump's sort of populist economic message and the difficulty of bringing them back in if we're calling him racist, brown shirt, fascist, right, which we all believe he is. But, like, the minute you put that on someone else, right, who's kind of thinking there might be with Trump, right? We got to find a way to have a language that can can speak to them, talk to those voters and bring them along that doesn't call them a racist, right? That that allows them to connect with the fact that they probably find Trump's uh, opinions on here wrong, right? But they're 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 so appalled by the quote political establishment and so alienated by the economy that they face, right? That they they're just they're they're going to have a hard time moving back. So that's something that I want us to continue to talk. Robert has his so hand up. Matt so just, apparently we didn't. You're allowed we didn't to, get enough. You're allowed to do that in podcasts. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to wave your yes. finger no, like to keep in the tumble? Never heard of a host doing that. <laughs> um, it's never been. I've never so seen such anyways, things on a podcast have, before. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I just want to add because Matt gave the positive vision that what other risk uh, is that. Trump is populist on outsourcing and trade. Yep. And in the upper Midwest, 
controls this election in many ways, right? Ohio, Pennsylvania, which is on the border of the Midwest and the, and the East, uh, Indiana a little bit, Wisconsin, Illinois. Uh, so this is highly problematic. And this is going to need, Hillary is going to need to be, not only continue the progress she's made against Bernie, she's probably going to have to ramp it up even more because Bernie, uh, Bernie attacks the trade agreements, but the way Trump talks about it is even at a higher level of emotion. And that we could lose a whole lot of blue-collar voters. And not just blue-collar voters, uh, you know, there are communities across Wisconsin that think that their economies have been completely screwed by outsourcing and by global trade agreements and could vote for Trump. So we're going to we're going to continue to watch this fissure and see how this goes um, as we seem to be moving towards this inevitable Hillary versus Trump or this third party scenario Robert talks about all very interesting uh, and scary at the same time so we'll continue to talk about it uh, we do want to get your thoughts on the updates on our Supreme Court nominee a debacle farce ridiculousness I believe that's an MTV show um, so President. Obama nominated. Uh, he's still president. Last he, time we checked. No, no, <laughs> no, not. he's not. Mm. Not according to Republicans. There's mm. a campaign going on. <laughs> so, so anyways, the uh, president this uh, no. this week announced his nominee. <laughs> By the way, Merrick <laughs> Garland. Okay, we got the name out there. You can now forget his name because it doesn't matter. It's not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. Merrick way, Garland. It'll be an after. He'll be a trivia question if someday. You're, if you're an originalist, you know the founding father campaigns uh, in the early part of the age of the republic took about a month. So when they were writing this constitution, they did not think elections started a year and a half before the the, the term of office ended. Okay. Well, <laughs> even even worse that he no longer actually has a mandate from the people apparently to be president according to the Republicans. Um so can I just say really quickly yeah. I'm really unclear what the Republicans are so offended by. I mean, look, we've got a middle-aged white dude. That's offensive. The super offensive nominated by the non-president. Very offensive. Very offensive and that and I quote, Garland was confirmed to the D.C. Circuit in 1997 with backing from a majority in both parties, including seven, that's right, seven current Republican senators. Offensive. That, that will not last. Gotta I assume they have a very change of heart. Like Rebecca Bradley, they've been doing a lot of soul searching the last few months, and they've changed their... Feelings. Are these the same seven that uh, supported most of the Affordable Care Act before it was <laughs> Obamacare? I mean, and then, it, then, it, then it became socialism, right? Oh, God. Oh, good stuff. So, hey. So, this is a good play if this is a tennis match. This is a good right. play by Obama because he took someone who is liked by both sides, conservative and liberal justices on the D.C. circuit, love this guy. He's incredibly qualified up and down the line, and it just makes uh, Mitch McConnell look that much worse. And so... Another white dude. But they will probably simply hunker down being who they are, but it will make it more politically <laughs> damaging for them. Conservative fascist white dudes. Yeah, well, look... <laughs> McConnell's face should be turning a little closer to the Boehner shade over this one. It's, this is pretty uh, pretty embarrassing. So we're going to move back to Wisconsin briefly uh, before we close out the show. We have a couple things we need to hit on. Uh, one is our attorney general. He has written that he would like to see and believes guns should be allowed on city buses. In this case, Madison city Absolutely. buses. Jorna, I know you often ride the buses. and. <laughs> carry guns just because yes, you're yes. ahead of the time and, <laughs> and safety first. So great idea, huh? Do you, do you know what guns I carry? These oh, guns. Oh, boy. Up, 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 up. Pointing to my, my guns in my arms here. There you go. Uh, <laughs> um, 
Wow, I I think this is an absolutely fascinating idea and such progressive public policy. I just can't even see where this would go wrong. Jordan, you didn't even know you wanted this. So I that, didn't. Yeah. I, I'm so glad the AG has my back knowing what I want, So especially in Madison. Yeah, the people of Madison have been dying for this. Robert, <laughs> I know you've been... You, you, you ride the bus a lot in Madison, uh, being here from Milwaukee. <laughs> I did when I was a graduate student so, there. And so you feel unsafe. And, huh. and the Madison buses, I'm sure, as Jorna said, were basically crazy, unsafe places that required everyone to have guns. Well, there were folks that Jorna used to call in an earlier day as dirty hippies. I but, still uh, call them yeah, dirty hippies. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> other than that, uh, you know, State Street protesters, etc. Uh-huh. Uh, so, I mean... They're doubling down on this worldview that you're safer if there are more guns, but it, all it does is bring out how silly this law is in the first place, that this law would require this. Though I do like what the 4th District Court of Appeals said. It upheld the ban in August, this is Scalia-like reasoning, saying the prohibition is a rule, not an ordinance or resolution. Right. I love the, I love these I love legal chopping like this. Like okay, I mean, I'm glad they found the right way, but okay, so apparently the state law doesn't apply to rules, just ordinances and resolutions. So gotta love it, but anyway, it's keeping guns. And I don't know who these fine folks are who want to carry guns on the buses. They're, what are they called here? Oh, there's gun rights groups. Okay. patriots, come on. Oh, the gun rights Freedom group, fighters. Wisconsin Carry. Okay, yeah. very good. Uh, well, guess what? We have signs on the Citizen Action door that say that you can't bring guns in here so we could bring we'll invite wisconsin hey, carry yes, folks i gotta go to hey the, the session's not over yeah i hear they might come no, back no, for a special can, session we can invite the wisconsin carry folks in the podcast to explain but they'll have to leave their guns outside our door here you could have like you know when you went to key parties when you were <laughs> yeah. in high school what? i mean college uh, you put your gun in a basket <laughs> that was the wild wild west they had these Buckets outside the saloon. Well, drop them we're in. Gonna, we're going to move forward. We'll have to hear more about Jorna's key parties at another time. <laughs> uh, but we're going to push forward into the future, and that is uh, we have we need to talk about our Western Wisconsin Organizing Cooperative. We have talked about it on the last two podcasts, including having Jeff Smith on, who's been organizing it. We are very excited to announce that um, we're going to succeed. And Jeff and the folks in Western Wisconsin have succeeded. They have over 200 people now signed up into this cooperative, and that is very exciting. Uh, that we'll add to our Milwaukee cooperative. So that is 200 people who will spend 20 to $30 a month every month, and there'll be a full-time organizer, Jeff Smith, dedicated to working with them. And uh, they will in greatly increase the permanent capacity for organizing uh, in western Wisconsin and be connected directly to what Citizen Action is doing, and we'll be providing support and infrastructure and strategic planning and message training and all the things we do and working with them directly, but they'll have a lot of democratic control on how what issues and elections they work on. So this is the second one we've had. We have other campaigns underway, and so we think that this is a way to develop organizing power and take back Wisconsin without being dependent on out of big out-of-state corporate uh, foundations. I was going to say corporations. They're former corporations, right? <laughs> it's called the way to, to differentiate a corporation money. from a foundation is it's the dead hand of capital versus the live hand of capital. Uh, the problem with the dead hand is it's fickle and it funds things for a couple of years and then it gets interested in something else, some other shiny object. We wouldn't have to worry about that in Western Wisconsin because the people are owning their own organizing. So with that, we are going to... Oh, yeah, obviously, if you haven't... If you're still on the fence, go sign up. 
Get in on this up in Western Wisconsin. Or shoot Contact Jeff Smith Jeff. an email. He'll yep. tell you more. Don't uh, shoot so Jeff Smith. <laughs> don't shoot Jeff Smith. So, yeah, so please get involved. Uh, this is going to be a very exciting uh, power building and organizing uh opportunity up in western Wisconsin. So with that, we're going to move to the weekend furlough. Jorna, what are you doing this weekend? I am going to hang out with my ponies, but I'm also going to watch a lot of NCAA basketball. Oh, yes. I've got North Carolina going all the way. Do the ponies like... um... The ponies like when I'm not annoying them. Mm -hmm. George has Stephen F. Austin. That's his uh, pick. It's a long shot, but so is George. No, George George is a little bit more of like a Duke type of guy. Mm. So, Jorna, by the way, I hope you've gotten into our pool that I sent you. you be, you've got No, you one didn't hour. actually yeah. send me the I pool. I thought I did. Okay. I didn't see it either. Oh. I, Matt's I, a jerk. Apparently, there's some issues <laughs> with... Uh, uh, I've joined... I've done my back in ESPN so I can link it to you. Yeah, yes, so I'm on CBS. Battleground Bracket, you have one hour to get on. Battleground so Bracket, okay. The Battleground Bracket. So, Robert, what are you doing this weekend? I assume you'll be watching uh, uh, Pittsburgh and the Badgers. This, is, yes, this must be tough for you, alma mater. undergraduate and my uh, Ph.D. institutions. So you have a little more warmth for your undergraduate institution for some reason, like how old you were when you went there or something. But I may be clapping when each one scores baskets uh, out, of, out of habit. What are you, some kind of politician? Uh, but Come at on. least one gets to advance. So uh. I have a guaranteed of one advance um, on this. Um, totally come down to who shoots. Either team could blow the other out based on who's shooting uh, and who's not. Uh, well, the ex- they play Friday, so when a lot of people yeah. listen to this, the game will actually still not have yeah, happened. Friday, Friday evening, right. So, and then I'm also, in addition to that, I'm speaking at the Unitarian Church in Ephraim in Door County. Ephraim. 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 Do not call it Uh-oh. Ephraim. Ephraim. Door County just smacked down and on you. And so Shit. I'm, and they're, Putting me up in a cabin, so I'm going up on Saturday and That's staying at night. Yeah, <laughs> and so that'll be fun. Apparently, it's a nice, nice-sized church. I'm told it's it a dry town. Of, I'd heard that, but it. <laughs> Fortunately, it, there's it, other towns in the oh, yes, county. There it appears that it's a five-minute drive to non-dryness. <laughs> right. Yes. yes. Okay. Fortunately, yes. So. Uh, Yes, Foot I have loose, a, baby. They're talking about making it undry, so I don't know if the Unitarians are part of that. I think it's more likely the Moravian Church down the street that is keeping it dry. I just but think who it's knows. the drunks in Dry County. Right, well, right. I too, <laughs> I too am gonna. Be, I'm a college basketball junkie, so this is uh, the most exciting weekend uh, of the year. It's uh, great excitement. None of my teams are in. Loyola Marymount continues its, uh, I believe, now twenty winning streak, <laughs> twenty six years of they're consecutively boycotting. not boy- attending the basketball boyco- tournament. They're boycotting. The yeah, I know it's rough. So I'll be cheering for the Badgers. And Marquette this year. is boycotting too. Marquette is not doing so well. They didn't even get an NIT bid. What's up with that? They, Are they going to on. that third tournament? No, What's, they're no. done. They're okay. done. So anyways, I'll have to just settle for uh, Loyola Marymount's 1988 victory over Wyoming on St. Patrick's Day and watch that one. So anyways, yeah, total nerd. So with that, um, I want to encourage people. Uh, this weekend, Saturday, we are canvassing for Senator Larson here for the Milwaukee County Executive Race. Please come by Peace Action, uh, which is on 1001 Keefe Street. Apparently, last week I said Burleigh, so fortunately most of you know where Peace Action is. We had a great turnout of uh, people canvassing last weekend. We're expecting even more. So uh, get out and help us support getting Chris Larson elected Milwaukee County Executive. Again, 9 a.m. or any time this weekend, stop by Peace Action 
Wisconsin. With that, we want to thank Brian Woolridge, who makes the podcast happen every week. And we want to thank Christine Newman-Ortiz for joining us to give us a little more information on their efforts. And we will see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.